Jessica Kim, and welcome to the I Am Not Alone podcast, where we dive deep into the personal, professional, cultural, and systemic changes that will redefine the way we care for one another. First, thank you so much for joining us on this journey. We have always promised we would keep the conversations here real and raw. Nothing about caregiving, work, or life is easy or clear-cut. So today, we're going to start by talking about caregiving as a role. What does it mean? Why does it matter to use the word caregiver? How do you own the role without letting it take over your identity? I go off on a little rant here, but my team members, Kristen and Sasha, join me as we dive in deep. I hope you take a listen. Okay, so I find something very fascinating um, that I've seen in my own journey as a caregiver, and it's the whole aspect of the fact that we don't call ourselves caregivers. It is the number one thing that every single organization, solution, expert, doctor, caregiver will say is that people don't call themselves a caregiver. And if you don't call yourself a caregiver, then that is one of the biggest roadblocks from getting the support and help you need. Because if you don't name yourself something, you're not going to be looking for it or responding to anything because you don't identify yourself as that thing. And so I was very much like that uh, when I was caring for my mom. So I totally get it. My mom had pancreatic cancer, as we know, for seven and a half years. That is a long time. And I don't think a single time I called myself a caregiver. I was just her daughter. She was the most amazing mom. I love and miss her every single day. And um, when she was going to her treatments, when she couldn't eat and I had to try five different recipes to feed her just so she could eat because chemo makes everything taste so metallic. Um, When I was driving her all over to all these different doctors, when I was just sitting by her, I was just doing what a daughter would do or anyone that would love that person. And it was just being a daughter. And when I talk to doctors or nurses or social workers, they say, well, who are you? It's like, she's my mom. I'm her daughter, period. And I think because I felt that way and it's very real, I did not know what existed for help. I didn't search for anything. There were probably signs and brochures all over (laughs) in my life as I walked through the halls of these hospitals and offices, but I didn't see it because I wasn't looking for it and I didn't identify at all with that name, caregiver. Now, fast forward to now years later um, where I am caring for my 82-year-old dad who has congestive heart failure. His heart is pumping probably at 10%. Um He was just in the ER two weeks ago. It was hectic and crazy. He's now living with us. He doesn't want to live with us because he feels like a burden, like all those dynamics. We're trying to figure out the finances, um, just where his will is. Uh, His house got flooded by the hurricanes that happened in the East Coast. And so this Saturday, we're all driving down to clean out his basement which has their decades worth of stuff. And I'm saying all these details because I'm sure 
anyone that would be listening or I'd be talking to can resonate with those details. This time, I call myself a caregiver. Not only a caregiver, but a primary caregiver. And so when he was in the ER, and this was like a pivotal moment for myself, you know, got the call. He got into a car accident. He's in the ER. I'm rushing around. It's raining. I'll never forget it. I was crying in the car. And I go in. And before I even see him, the nurse practitioner comes up to me and says, um, oh, you know, are, are, you know, are you with Sang Nam, like my dad? And I said, yes. He's like, oh, are you the daughter? I'm like, yes, I'm daughter. I'm also his caregiver. And I remember that moment when I said that, and I was like, oh my gosh, where'd that come from? <laughs> but I remember wanting to clearly communicate to this person who's navigating my dad's care that I am not just a daughter that just showed up, that I am his caregiver. Like, I know what is happening. I know what he ate for breakfast that day. I know what state he was in. So when you're telling me that all of a sudden he's not lucid and he's, you know, all over the place, like I can tell you what happened five hours ago. And so I wanted to clearly communicate it, and, but it was something that I just blurted out. And then it continued, like when they were giving him all the tests, trying to figure out because he had a fever. And so he was physically okay from the car crash, but he just, um, there were so many things that were happening and they were just like, you know, just like any kind of ER protocol, you have to check until you see a source of something that you're seeing. And having a fever is a big deal. Like, is there an infection? What is it? Is it COVID? Like all those tests. And as we're going through tests and tests and tests, they finally say, we have something that needs to go through this procedure and we're going to do it right away. And I said, okay, well, what, what are you doing? And they started explaining it and they said, but you know, we'll just get him in. I'm like, hold on. And again, what blurted out was, hold on, I am his primary caregiver. And what you need to know is that his heart pumps at 10%. And in the past, we have not been able to do certain procedures of which he had to go under anesthesia because his heart won't be able to handle it. And so if you don't understand that as you're working through this frantic care plan, you can he could die from that and not even the procedure or whatever's causing it. And so you need to know that. And I remember being so adamant the second, and then so what, I, what I, I remember being so adamant and I remember them looking at me and saying, wait, what? And I was like, yes. And he met with Dr. Garrett and four months ago, da, 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 going through all of that. And then so they looked at me and said, oh, okay, that's really good to know. Two hours later, they said, okay, we need to actually transfer you to this different hospital because it's too risky to do here. And I was like, what do you mean it's too risky? And they were like, well you're right, he has this heart condition. And what we don't have is all the resources just in case anything happens. And I was like, oh my gosh, like the actual care plan is different because of that knowledge that was transferred that would have, you know, caused major complications or potential of complications had I not told him that. But I think they, the fact that I was like, I'm his primary caregiver gave me a lot more authority than just being his daughter. And, and it happened again, it just throughout the whole thing, this last instance with my dad where, you know, because he has to get this procedure, you can't eat, it's called MPO, you can't do anything in the mouth or whatever, and you can't drink, you can't eat. And it was the third day because of scheduling, things got pushed back. Again, people listening to this could resonate with what that experience is. Um, 
And I remember just really talking to this nurse and saying, you have to get this scheduling right. And I know you're trying all you can, but you have to realize my dad gets completely hypoglycemic and has these bouts of feeling dizzy, cannot walk, all of that if he doesn't eat. So it's not like a normal, healthy person that you're just hungry and maybe weaker. Like he has almost like these episodes of hypoglycemia. And so in the same way, I said, I'm his primary caregiver and I know that this happens. So we need to make sure that we prevent that. And of course, she kind of said, okay, we'll put sugar in his uh, drip and like all this stuff. Um, and then she advocated for us then to make sure it was scheduled and or if we not, if, if it's not scheduled to know as soon as possible so he can get something in his belly. Um, so all I say all of this to say when I think about this lack of ownership of this title that we are so reluctant of giving ourselves caregiver, I think a couple things come to mind. It's like, well, one, acknowledging that all these titles that we give ourselves are all roles in our life. And we so often root ourselves and identify ourselves with that role as our sole identity. Um, but these, but it's like transient, right? And when you, when you think about it that way, then you think, okay, well then what, what does that title mean? So if I say hi, and you've never met me before, and I say, hi, I'm a mom of three kids, a mom, I'm a mom you immediately know that because I called myself a mom, that I have these additional responsibilities that I have to take care of, right? Everything from what they eat, their nutrition, activities, their education, buying them clothes, <laughs> cleaning their clothes, all of those things that come along with motherhood, by just saying, hi, I'm a mom, you already know that there are all these other things. You can kind of predict what goes on in my life on a daily basis, right? And so we, I think when we, when we don't call ourselves a caregiver and we just call ourselves a mom or a daughter, what we leave out is what that name and title even signifies. Like a caregiver, similar to the way we say your mom, a caregiver is taking care of the medication, making all the appointments, making sure they have the nutrition, um, doing all the rides, all the emotional care. And these are additional responsibilities on top of this relational role that we have with the person that we're caring for. It's additional. It's on top. It's more. My days look different. So being a daughter to my dad can be like, we have dinner, we share a glass of wine, we talk, I'll buy him a present. Being a daughter and a caregiver for my dad is everything I just said, but on top of it, making sure he saw his medication, all the things that I just rattled off that a caregiver comes with, right? And then on top of that, a caregiver for what? A caregiver with a type of condition or, or an age. It's like words mean something. It signifies, it communicates things. So we have to call ourselves caregivers, otherwise we're leaving all these other aspects of what we do in our day and this role and all these responsibilities out. And more importantly, it does not communicate that role that we have to the people that need to know that role, to the clinicians, you know, to our family and friends, to our work. Like we're leaving all of that out. And so I think if we could declare that we are caregivers and name ourselves that and own it 
and actually introduce ourselves in that way, that would make a huge difference for the whole caregiving mission, initiative, awareness, and most importantly, in each of our lives. And I think the second thing I would say about owning this word caregiver is that so much of caregiving and being a family caregiver is unseen and unheard and not acknowledged. And so that is what leads to deep isolation, loneliness, and burnout. Because here we are doing all these other things that like really add up and it's hard. And we don't even acknowledge it ourselves because we don't call ourselves a caregiver. That's what leads to like just exhaustion on a whole other level. So if I were to have the analogy again to a mom, like when you're a new mom, everyone, you say, I have a new mom or I'm a mom of an infant. Everyone automatically is like, oh my gosh, how can I help you? You know, you must be so tired. Um, you must not be getting a lot of sleep. Like we already know in our culture, like all these things that come with just saying young mom or a mom to a young child. And so... And, and even though you're exhausted and nothing's going to take away from the fact that the baby won't sleep through the night and all that stuff, like no one could really take that away from you. But the acknowledgement makes such a difference that people see you going through it. And in the same way as a caregiver, the lack of acknowledgement of all of that, even from my closest friends who mean well and I love them and I wouldn't be here without them, or even my sister or my brother the lack of acknowledgement adds to the weight of the burden and the exhaustion because you just feel like you're doing so much and it's like not acknowledged at all by anybody. And so acknowledge that for yourself and acknowledge that, make that acknowledged by other people and it will make an emotional difference for you to persevere and to have that sense of ownership and that recognition which is sometimes the only source of moving forward and still loving and caring in the way that you want to do, you know? So yeah, I mean, I proudly and adamantly and strongly say that I am a caregiver. And I just hope, and my hope is that everyone else will start acknowledging this and declaring it. And the more that we do that, the more it's going to be recognized, not only in our lives, but in our circles and in this world. And it starts there because we can have all the solutions we can create. But if people don't see it because they don't identify with it, it all doesn't matter. So I am a caregiver. Jessica, I have a question for you because I agree with everything you just said and I think it was so well laid out. Um, but when do we identify ourselves as caregivers? Because we don't walk around, you know, with a, a name tag anymore that says, hello, my name is mom, right. entrepreneur, CEO. So when is the right time and where are the opportunities to really start to own the role, um, maybe that are outside of the clinical opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question because you're right. If we believe in what we just talked about, which like there are so many roles that we play, you're not going to be like, hi, I am a caregiver, a cook, a, <laughs> a daughter, a sister. <laughs> like you don't say that. But 
I envision a world where we have come a long way when we talk about certain roles in our life, right? So in everyone's professional bio, you say, also a mom of three or also married to college sweetheart, whatever. Like we talk about marriage and we talk about kids. And because they're trying to communicate, like, what does my life look like? Like, and, you know, what is in my life right now? And so in the same way, why would we then leave out caregivers? So I started adding, regardless wherever it is, like that I also a caregiver to her, her dad, who like, you know, in Boston or something. So I've added it just whenever it's appropriate where I talk about other aspects of my personal life, I add that because that is about me, right? So I think if we can mm-hmm. get to that point, I know with this other caregiver, like, you know, one of our caregivers um, on the Ionica platform, I remember she said a big moment for her was work bios when everyone's just kind of doing introductions to a new teams and they did a blurb, um, it had nothing to do with caregiving, but she said, and a caregiver for my husband. Um, and so I, I think that's like when it's appropriate. Of course, everything else is contextual. Obviously, you know, when everything, anything happened, it, it, whenever you're in a context of care or providing care, um, but I think the bigger cultural change is, you know, what we just talked about. Yeah, so I want to ask about that. You mentioned that in a clinical setting, when you label yourself as a caregiver, there's a lot of context there. So everybody pretty much knows your place and what you're going to say. But in non-clinical settings, how do people usually react to you using that label? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, again, I guess my 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 entry point would be, am I introducing myself and talking about like what I do, what what my family looks like? So if I were to say, oh, so what do you do? I was like, oh, I am in startup. Oh, great. Do you have kids? Oh, yeah, I have three kids. Oh, and I also care for my dad who who lives with us. So it's basically like when you're talking about that aspect, let's just include it. But right now, people don't even include it in that. So it goes so, so it goes so hidden. So we got a comment in one of our recent webinars that uh, this woman felt like the idea of thinking of this as an additional role on top of being a parent or a daughter was really huge for her. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that, like recognition and what it means for the caregivers, like framing of their responsibilities and and how they might approach the situation? Yeah, totally. I think um, seeing it as an additional role Especially, I think the a, a confusing thing is actually when you're a parent and a caregiver, because so much of that word parent and that role is caring. Like being a parent, it means that this person, like you're the guardian, you are the caregiver and the source of care for this child who cannot care for themselves, right? Fully. And so that's the most confusing thing. So it's not surprising that someone commented on that. But when you're a parent, there are also some normal parenting, or I wouldn't say normal, there's no norm, but there's some typical, I would say, parenting responsibilities that come with that word parent, right? It's like, you know, yeah, like getting food on the table, driving them, making sure they're healthy, educated, um, that they're, they're feeling loved. But what not all parents do if you're a parent and a caregiver to a child with either special needs or cancer, or anything like that, or any kind of chronic condition, is 
oh, I give her an IV drip every single day. We go to the doctor 10 times a month. I have to prick her finger to check her blood sugar levels. Um, you know, I have to set aside her medication and make special meals based on these requirements. Like those are additional layers of the typical care that we give as a parent. And so when you just say I'm a parent, I think the intent is right. It's you're like, this is my role, my relational role with this person. I love and care for them for whatever they need, whatever they need. And that's what makes them a loving parent. But when you say I'm also a caregiver, that means you're also the point of contact to all the care and the status that happens in the home, like all the care that happens in the home. So if you were in the hospital setting, you would actually be the nurse and the social worker right. <laughs> and the person who just stops by to check your temperature, right? Like you would actually have all these other roles if you were in the hospital setting and you did what you did. So the whole thing is now that care is happening so much in the home, we have to give ourselves these titles to communicate and to recognize all the additional things that we're doing that goes beyond just normal parenting, that goes beyond just being a normal spouse, um, that goes beyond being a sister or a sibling or a daughter. Um, and so it's, it, again, it boils down to roles equal responsibilities and activities. And so, you know, naming it makes a huge difference. I think it's so interesting because we talk a lot about like the social determinants of health and the impact the non-clinical part of life has on the patient's outcome. And, you know, when you were just talking about just being a mom and just, you know, delivering food, but when you're caring for a child or a parent or a spouse with special dietary restrictions, like you're actually the extension of the clinical team. You are actually making sure that the care plan gets administered, even like rides to and from appointments. Like we always focus on the treatment cycle or the appointment, but not, and we don't budget for the fact that somebody has to get to and from it safely, that they have mm -hmm. to have, you know, a high enough immune system to be able to even go to the treatment or that um, you may have to start making two to three separate meals a day for your entire family. How do you think we can change our thinking around um, all of those aspects of care such that we start to recognize that they're actually part and core to the clinical treatment? I mean, you are completely spot on. Um, I think your question is a good one is how do we actually move that forward? And so as, uh, as a tech entrepreneur or as someone that thinks <laughs> that way, but I do see it. Like if we could really map out like the person's journey, you know, so I, you know, if someone could map out seriously in the way that we do with our product screens and really put, okay, got chemo treatment. What do they do next? What do they click on next? Where do they go? You know? And then what aspects happen in order for this then fork to then get the next treatment or not? And what are those factors or levers? It would be completely a hundred million percent clear that the non-clinical aspects of care make the care happen or not. So right. very clear examples. Like I, I remember the doctor refusing that my mom would get her next chemo treatment, which is the treatment to kill the cancer. And I was like, why? Why? Oh, she lost too much weight. Oh, no. Why did she lose too much weight? Because her taste buds are all off and she has no appetite and all these side effects. Oh, but you need to get 65 grams of protein in her every day. Wait, hold on. 
She is not eating a Delmonico steak here. She takes five sips of anything. Like, how do I do that? But when I didn't do that and I didn't know how to do that, which happens in the home and it's not medicine, it's not pharma, it is food. Like, I didn't know how to get five, 65 grams of protein into her body so she can get the next treatment of what she got refused. Like, that is non-clinical aspects of care. Totally. totally. Right? And so I was like, wait, then show me. And then I had to discover protein powders and protein syrups and all these smoothies. So when she takes five sips, it's as close as the 65 grams of protein that she could take. Very clear example. You know, so it's just- How long did it take you to find and figure that out? Like, what was your process in like, I mean, I can't imagine the countless hours that you spent researching, trying to find it, trying different things. Totally. I mean, it- the, it was like um, a mad rush to find it because when she got refused and then as a caregiver, I was like, oh my gosh, well, but what am I supposed to do? But I re- really realized the importance of my role in her right. treatment. And I'm like, I'm not yep. a dietitian. I'm not this. So we tried to find a dietitian and the dietitian actually recommended like, um, like a protein. I don't even, it's like a paste. Like it's a protein, almost like peanut butter-ish kind of thing. It's very thick syrup and then uh, these other protein shakes and all of that. And so it was like a mad restaurant to figure it out. Uh, 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 Another aspect was I was just like, this should be like readily available to people. Like it's just knowledge. Like why did I have to then go to a dietitian, drive over there to find them? I was like, this stuff is available. So that's another passion is like to like make some of this accessible knowledge. Totally. Like available to everybody. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was a lot of that. It was testing in the, in the kitchen. Um, but there are supplements that are out there and that's like at the, that's like the core of Ionicare too. Like our drive is like, there are things out there, <laughs> but <laughs> it just isn't like put in front of us in an easy way. Um, but yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you're talking a lot about how much time it took to figure all these things out, right? Without the proper resources. And I'm sure that had a ripple effect on the rest of your family and life. And we know that you are caring for three young kids. So if you're spending all of your time figuring this stuff out, how do you make sure that you also fill the mom role, which you talked about earlier? So like making sure the kids are fed and doing their homework, that they feel seen. Like how do you find a way to do all of that alongside all the responsibilities that come with the caregiver role? Totally. I mean, Kristen, I think that's like the panini generation. It's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's a forget being sandwiched between kid care and, and elder care or just any other type of care. It's like, yeah, being a mom of three in itself is like so busy. Um, you know, the kids had to have a lot of patience. We had to say no to more things. And I felt guilty about it. Like I felt really, which added to my stress, right? Like I was just right. like, wow, I feel guilty about this. Um, as I was researching, I could have been either interacting with them or researching things to further their education and enrichment or basic stuff. And so it definitely is like this split aspect. I always think about, um, caregivers who are caring for people with chronic long-term conditions. I do recognize that, um, my mom had this late stage cancer and it was like a push. And so it was almost like a lesson to the kids. Like this is a moment if phase for us and time that we need to all sacrifice and be there for a mom. But if that had been known to be a 20 year journey, I don't know what I would do. And, you know, 
we talk to caregivers that are in that situation. And I think that guilt and that management is so different. Um, but yeah, it, it's a, it's, it's a lot. Um, but if a lot of it was like researching and knowing options and just having someone to like process things through with, um, and so again, you know, that's why a lot of our solution does that is because we're like, that would help so much and then give me back some time to then fulfill my other roles that are equally important to me. Yeah. Um, so I guess to kind of help with that balance, you could be really specific, right? So you could say like, this week I need to focus on my mom's diet and getting her strong enough for her next treatment. So I'm going to yeah. need a lot of help on meals yeah. because I'm not going to have as much time to focus on that. So being that specific can help with the mom role when you need to give more attention yeah. to the caregiving role totally. in a particular you know week or day no for sure that goes beautifully into the three-day rule which is another topic <laughs> but like balancing um, you know where your attention is and your efforts and how do you keep that in check both short-term and long-term you know i kind of like as i've listened to you talk about all the different roles that you have embodied um I kind of have this visual in my head of a pie chart, which I actually hate pie charts, but this actually <laughs> works really well. Where like, essentially on any given day, like you're maybe uh, like the day that your dad's in the ER, you're like 99% a caregiver and the mm -hmm. 1% is mom just to make sure, but you have, you know, you have a really great partner who you know is going to have your back and is going to make sure the kids are good. So you can be a hundred percent focused on what you need, yeah. but that on any given day, that scale or that pie chart may look different. Yeah. Is that fair? articulation for sure so if that's fair what is the role that always falls away first when things mm. get hectic I think what typically falls away um at least in my situation so there's like different contexts depending on who you're caring for but what tends to be the first is typically your marriage it's your spouse if they are healthy if that's not the person that you're caring for because they're self-sufficient um you know, you tend to say, this is a phase, this is a phase, this is a phase, it'll, they'll be fine, we're fine. And I think that's dangerous, for sure. Um, and I've, I, you know, learned that um, the hard way before, and we had to recalibrate. I think the other thing is your, I think even before your spouse, it's your friends, your friends in your yeah. social circles, like you're like, I don't have time, I don't have time, they should understand. Um, and that, it adds to the loneliness and it adds to the burnout and it adds to your lack of support system when you need them. Totally. Um, and fulfillment is like even caregivers, some caregivers tend to be also the best supporters for other people because it's just in their nature. They know how to help. And you're like, what? You have your own stuff. But you're like, but I get it. I get what you're going through. Mm -hmm. So if I can do one meal, I can do that for you. And so, right. um, so without that social interaction, it also, yeah, adds to all of the, burnout and everything that we said before, because you're also lacking this other outlet of giving um, and receiving. And so, yeah, I think so that's... So how do you build support? Like if, if the first puzzle piece to follow is either your partner and or your friends, but those are the people that actually want to show up, how do you like, how do you actually go through the situation, identify yourself, identify the responsibilities, but not let the people that are only able to show up kind of fall out of out of sync so that's the perfect tee up for the three-day rule it is i mean it it really is actually we always talk about this this give a teaser for what the three-day rule is okay and, i know that's yeah. why i'm hesitating because i don't think we have time to go into it it's a probably a whole other th conversation but 
it's a perfect tee up to that conversation because that's what happens exactly like things fall off because you're so focused on the urgent immediate emergency or what you think um is dire which tends to be in this situation health not health life death right and then nothing can compare to that like a piano lesson will never compare to that so you'll just like always say we're going to cancel that but that in the long run is not great so the teaser to the three-day rule is it gives kind of a structure to make sure that you are focusing on, well, first you identify what your priorities are and who are important to you and what is important to you. And then it gives a structure of what is the what addresses the immediate, but don't forget about the bigger picture long-term. Because what happens, especially with caregivers, is the immediate will always win. But then you look back and say, how did I get here? My marriage is broken. I have no friends. I'm completely burnt out. I'm completely isolated. I'm so depressed. And I'm bitter. And because you look back at the three years and without any of these structures, you're like, I've lost everything. Now I am only this role and I have no other role. Right. And right. that is not a healthy thing. It causes so much bitterness because it's so hard and unseen. And so to prevent that, the three-day rule gives a structure to say, Where are you spending your time and how do you check in with the people so you can always recalibrate that pie that you're referring to? Right. So. This episode is really important to me because I feel like creating the changes we're advocating for really begins when we start to own this incredibly important role. We got to name ourselves a caregiver. And when we recognize our place and importance in the care structure, then we can start making real changes. We're going to keep having these honest conversations to push all of our thinking forward. We hope you'll join us. We're only just beginning.